This snippet comes from around the 8 minute 40 second mark in episode 109 of MMT Podcast with Fadl Kaboob called Unraveling Financial Media and Strategies for the Global South. So MMT says inflation risks can materialize from two sources. One is a shortage of productive capacity. In other words, if you run out of resources, if you have supply chain shortages, you will get inflation pressure points. And if you increase spending, in, in other words, if you increase demand for items that face those shortages, of course, you're going to face inflation pressure points. And that is kind of what we're experiencing now in, in, in some uh, areas, especially related to microchips and, and cars and spare parts and things like that. The second source of inflation, according to MMT, and this is really the one that uh, all mainstream economists ignore, is market power or what I sometimes call abusive market power. That is to say you have key players in the economy who can raise prices simply because they can or because we let them because we're not regulating those industries enough. We're not enforcing antitrust laws um, and in some cases don't have you know, uh, effective antitrust laws to begin with. Um, and that type of inflation risk can't be eliminated by spending less and screaming austerity. That type of inflation risk can only be eliminated by taxing and regulating their market power out of existence, by democratizing those industries, by uh, effectively enforcing antitrust laws uh, and making those markets more competitive. And, and that, is, that is the biggest challenge from, from, a, from a democracy standpoint because this involves corruption. Policymakers who have the tools in their hands to tax and regulate are brought to you by super PACs from those industries. Um, and they're going to have to make a choice. Do they bite the hands that feed them and you know, enforce the democratic process? Or do they throw democracy under the bus and the working people under the bus for the sake of uh, keeping their, their friends happy? People, when they think about inflation and they hear the warnings coming from mainstream media about the inflation that's just around the corner, they, there's a part of them emotionally that goes to the 70s. <laughs> and uh, they go, yeah, that's, that's what happened in the 70s, whereas you know, that was a cost-push inflation. There was a, you know, a, a, a monopolist restricting the supply of oil, and it was obviously a crucial input to the economy. And so that's an example of that we lived through of of, uh, of a monopolist uh, setting prices. I guess w would you agree with that? Yeah, and the the, the case of the inflation of the of the nineteen seventies, you know, keeps getting you know reintroduced in um, in popular culture again and again as a counterexample to an MMT uh, informed framework by people who don't understand what caused the, the 70s uh, inflation and don't even understand what actually made it go away. Um, so, and, and this goes from Paul Krugman to Larry Summers to the, the rest of them and, and the mainstream. And the story goes, we tried you know, spending too much and not worrying about deficits during the, the big welfare state spending and then look at what happened in the 70s. Well, what happened in the 70s? It had nothing to do with government deficits in, in the U.S. or in Western Europe. It had nothing to do with the power of labor unions demanding higher wages. It, it was not a demand uh, type of inflation, demand, demand pull inflation. It was a cost push inflation. 
there was a conflict in the Middle East between Arabs and Israelis, which we can get into in another episode if you want. We would need a whole series for that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a geopolitical conflict that um, uh, created a situation where OPEC felt like it could use its economic power to um, reduce the global supply of oil. The demand haven't stayed the same. All of a sudden, prices quadrupled. And as a result, petroleum, because it's a, a basic input in pretty much everything we consume and produce in terms of shipping and heating and cooling and, uh, and uh, transportation and petrochemicals for all the plastics that we use and, and chemicals that we use in industrial processes. So all of those prices increased substantially within a very short amount of time. So that's what we call cost push inflation. That's what drove prices up, had nothing to do with labor unions or consumer demand or government spending too much. But that was the opportunity for Milton Friedman and, and, and his people at the time. Remember his famous phrase, never let a good crisis go to waste? Well, that was the crisis that didn't let, <laughs> that didn't let go to waste. And he said, aha, we told you, all that big government spending for the last two decades and labor unions, now you need to. Um, and, and their narrative made sense to the average person because they told them we have an, a new way to fix this, right? We're, we're going to get the government off of your backs, lower taxes, and, and create jobs and bring freedom and all of that whole uh, narrative. But of course, it had nothing to do with it. So what did most governments do? They raised interest rates. Central banks raised interest rates and started cracking down on labor unions, trying to kill demand when the problem was the supply side at the time. Now, in, in the case of the U.S., um, a lot of people forget that Jimmy Carter, actually, at least his administration, understood that it, this had something to do with oil and sources of energy. So Jimmy Carter, during his administration, he actually put solar panels on the White House, which Reagan took down immediately <laughs> afterwards. Uh, Jimmy Carter deregulated the natural gas industry at the time. So we have him and his administration to thank for all the fracking that we have today. Um, but the deregulation was to find an alternative source of energy, which was natural gas at, at the time. And those are the things that actually created substitutes for sources of energy and started to bring down uh, energy prices. But ultimately, what ended the whole thing had nothing to do with central banks, had nothing to do with going after labor unions, had nothing to do with reducing spending or increasing unemployment. It was a political resolution to the crisis in the Middle East that finally convinced OPEC to go back and do business with the rest of the world like they did before. That was the source of inflation and that was the end of inflation. It had nothing to do with anything you read and standard economics narrative. So today when we talk about MMT, when we talk about the post-COVID recovery and the need for substantial investments and Green New Deal and things like that, they say, wait, 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 we, we know what will happen if we do this. We've seen this in the 1970s. We had a, a inflation cycle and economic breakdown. And, and that's, you know, either ignorant or dishonest or, or both. I just find it very interesting in, in, in what you've said about, um, you know, that the causes were political and the solutions were political, uh, because um, I find that in the in the mainstream in particular, the way that they 
carry out, they go about doing, you know, questioning or or, or proposing hypotheses about potential causes of inflation or other other effects. They focus entirely on economic data and almost exclusively ignore, um, you know, political or, or anecdotal, you know, or, or just the context in which this data is being captured. And um, and also the the other the other thing about what you've said is that in, in Japan, you know, we we have seen that um, presumably Japan is increasing the money supply in inverted commas in, in you know in, in in huge quantities for a couple of decades now, and the um, you know the mainstream should have told us, as you said, that this was going to lead to inflation, hyperinflation, and none of that has happened. And when you challenge mainstream economists on this, they they say, well, it's a delayed effect. You know, they say any any day now, any day now. And yet when it happens, you know, when hyperinflation happens in other countries and you see, well, it's because the government, you know, uh, printed money or, or increased the money supply and the effect is immediate. The fact that it can be immediate in one circumstance, but massively delayed in others doesn't raise any flags and to me i don't know if you had anything to comment about the way that you know why is it that 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 uh, constrains mainstream economists into not not seeing any or not assessing any other potential causes for this inflation i mean you said it beautifully i'll just add one thing which um paul krugman you know publicly admitted and on his twitter feed a few months ago he said well i guess i'm, I'm too old i don't understand japan uh, like it's it's way outside of the realm of possibilities. Uh, so Japan, yes, Japan stands there as as you know it was dismissed at first as a as a you know a fluke, but then a fluke that lasts three or four decades that you can't explain the the third largest economy in the world behaving in a way that mainstream economics doesn't understand is is more than just a kind of an outlier situation but then the last 10 years the ecb the entire european continent joins the japanese case the us joins and all the inflation targeting strategies of uh, of major central banks have failed miserably the the fed has said it publicly we have no reliable theory of inflation um, i mean the the ecb inflation forecast versus actual inflation for the last 10 years it's like a joke, you know, it's like they have no idea what they're targeting. And that brings me back to the, the basic MMT premise. And you've heard probably Warren Mosler and, and others in the MMT community uh, describe this very clearly. 